Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I hope you enjoyed our opening music. It's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band. And you can download that uh, free on any of your favorite music platforms if you'd like. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people of all ages and stages of life. So those diagnosed, those that care and serve them, advocates, researchers, and more. Now, today's show is live, so you can call in to 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Now, before I introduce our guest today, I'm sure you've all seen the title, Why is Grandma Naked? We are going to be uh, talking with the author of that book. Uh, But first, I want to do a couple of shout outs. One is to the Memory Cafe directory. I'm so excited. Some of the Memory Cafes are starting to open up and meet in person. So go to MemoryCafeDirectory.com. And you'll be able to find those that are meeting in person and those that are available virtually. Um, in fact, I do one virtually for Arthur's um, senior care, and we meet um, the first or the the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month at one o'clock central. And anybody is welcome to join that. We're in Minnesota, uh, in Roseville there. So feel free if you want to come to a virtual one, uh, meet us, meet up with us this Wednesday. I also want to give a shout out to Coro Health at C-O-R-O Health.com. They are still allowing people to download their music app, um, Music First and Coral Faith, during the pandemic uh, free, which is wonderful. And then, of course, I have to mention Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory that I'm co-founder of with Dave Wiedrich. And um, we are just so excited on how this is launching and the the number of people that are coming to it um, to get great information. We want everyone who has a service product tool or information to be able to input their information into this site. There is a free plan, or if you want more uh, more enhanced listing, uh, you can talk with us on that as well. But it is free to the public. And there is no charge, and we don't ask for any personal information up front. So you can just visit DementiaMap.com. Next, we are going to hear from the Footbar Walker, and then I'll be back to introduce our guest and have a great conversation. 
Introducing the life-changing Foot Bar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Foot Bar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Foot Bar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Foot bar walker. Well, welcome back. We are now going to get to our our um, guest today, who is Ellen Prober uh, Rittberg. I just crucified your name there, Ellen. So you can slap me up once I once I put you live on the mic here. <laughs> um, she just published the number one release in the aging and parents category, which has a humorous. Uh, twist to it as a self-help book called Why is Grandma Naked? Caring for Your Aging Parents. The book is available on Amazon and Kindle, and it's based on her six years of caring for her own mother while working full-time as an attorney, and she represented seniors while she was doing that. The book covers the stress, the weirdness, the life-transforming experiences, and um that, that both Ellen and others have gone through. And she knows how important through her journey that belly laughs are in terms of releasing tension um, when you're feeling really stressed out uh, caring for somebody living with dementia. So welcome, Ellen. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. And thank you for having me. And I'm going to have you say your last name correctly because I, I know I tripped over it. So go ahead. And no, no. <laughs> you are one person. You are one of the very few. I know I have trouble saying my own name. It's Ellen Pober, P-O-B-E-R, and my last name is Rittberg. But, you know, putting those together is just a big mouthful. Thank you for getting it right, but I, I you did it fine. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm, you know, as I mentioned um, in my intro of you, we're, we're going to be talking about your journey with your mom. So why don't you tell us a bit more of how you've been touched by dementia in your own, in your own family? Um, can you give us a little history there? Um, yeah. How you, how you mm. discovered this with your mom and, and how it impacted yeah. the family? Sure. Um, well, mom had fallen and well, and while she was in rehab, I um, I had actually staying with her temporarily. I'd so, sold my home, and I was looking to move closer to where I worked, which was like an hour commute away. And I realized mom was suddenly starting to have some judgment issues. You know, she'd, she'd try to change a light bulb, even though she asked me to do it like two minutes before, and I didn't respond fast enough, and she'd try to climb up on a stepladder, and her her mobility wasn't that great. And other things like that that I – I think at first I was in denial about that she was really at the beginning of, of the beginning stages of dementia. And a mom lived in a big house, but even if it was a small house, it was an old house where things broke down. And I realized I couldn't leave mom alone. And so I was already there and mom wanted me to stay. So I started to do all the things that caregivers do, showering her, 
you know, talking to her, watching Jeopardy with her, etc. And through time, you know, her cognitive abilities declined. I was working full time, as you said, as an attorney. I had to get somebody in the picture who was a companion for a few hours. Later, that got more hours, and she needed more help. But I could not have done it without a very good support system. And mom went from being this uh, three-book-a-reading-week person to, at the end, you know, not even knowing where she lived and, you know, not even talking at the very end. So I saw the decline, but it took me quite a while, to be honest, to recognize it because she was so bright and so independent, drove her car till she was 92, that kind of thing. Wow. She was independent, for sure. Well, thank you for that little bit of background. That always that always helps us there. Um, I want to ask you uh, one thing, and I always find it really interesting when I talk with people who have been on this on this journey. And that is, why do you think the journey of dementia is is so difficult, and so many people try to do it alone? Ah, oh, such a great question. Well, those of us that undertake to be the caregiver. And generally, in a family, unless I'm mistaken with my theory, there's usually one person who does lots more and becomes like the master of the ship kind of thing. And that person um, is used to taking charge and doing the things. I, I had sat down and helped mom pay the bills. I used to pick her up. If there was a blizzard, I live in New York, I knew her lights might go out. I'd bring her to my house. So I was already doing stuff for my mother, and I was in that sort of caregiving mode and it was easier I thought to just do stuff myself than to ask somebody and explain to them how to do it which through time as any caregiver knows there is so much to do you cannot do it alone you're going to feel overwhelmed stressed out and you're not going to laugh and you're not going to find things funny you're just going to find them not good and be in a bad state that is very true Um, and and yet I, I don't know as our society I think kind of puts pressure on us to think we're supposed to be able to do this alone and we should do this alone. And and then you feel, I know I did anyways, and, and I don't know if you did, but I felt like I had all these eyes peering on me, judging me on how I was oh, doing. And yet, and, and yet no one really in, in the family offering to help. You know, mm. and um, mm. and so I I found that that interesting, especially uh, probably primarily with my brothers. Um, you talk in mm. your book about becoming an alpha dog. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I say it in a humorous way, and as as you read the book, everything I I put in the book, I say it humorously, but there's I believe truth in it. And if you don't start to talk to your parent in an authoritative way, but a kindly way, they're not going to listen to you. I say in my book, if you say to your mom, mom, it's time to go to the bathroom, if if mom is still continent or sort of continent, and if you say, please, pretty, please, with sugar on top, she's not going to do it. <laughs> she's just not. But if you say, mom, it's time, and if mom says, mm, I don't think I have to go, and you know that it takes X number of minutes to just get to the bathroom in time. So you have to really be insistent and be that take charge leader type, even if you're not a natural leader, <laughs> which is what, what happens when I call it an alpha dog. You suddenly have to make yourself be this alpha dog in charge. Well, and that makes sense. Um, you know, you you do, you have to be stern, but you have to be kind and, 
and respectful yet in the in the same mix and not everybody does that does that really well mm-hmm. um you also talk about you know just agree with them it's easier oh. um i want to i want i want to know exactly who are you referring to there because um sometimes i i see that more than just the person with dementia <laughs> when, you know what the, let me let me tell you this is a lot oh, what a great point you know i i myself am a senior citizen i like to think i'm not older, but I'm older. (laughs) And what I find is that as I get older, it helps to not be judgmental. And mom had a bunch of delusions. I'll call them delusions. They were perfectly harmless. Mom came, can I give you an example of one? Yeah. Sure. sure. Is that okay? Okay. Mom came home, she was still driving. And she said she saw someone who I call in the book, Mrs. G, who was a neighbor who she knew from 40 years ago, probably hadn't seen her in 40 years, who she'd been in a carpool with. They weren't friends. They didn't socialize together. And she said she saw Mrs. G next to her in the car next to her in the parking lot. And Mrs. G turned to the passenger in Mrs. G's car next to her and said, she looks old. And my mother was really hot and bothered that Mrs. G had said that about her. Well, I knew that couldn't have been Mrs. G because Mrs. G probably – was in Florida or she was dead. So I took mom over to my computer and I Googled Mrs. G's name and there she was in Florida. <laughs> and I tried <laughs> to convince mom that it wasn't Mrs. G and Mrs. G didn't say anything about her that she looks old. But she was convinced that Mrs. G said she looked old. <laughs> it's just you're wasting your words and it's really funny sometimes they're delusions, you know? Yeah. Yep. I think my mother also thought she knew the progressive insurance lady. She, you know, I she loved that commercial, and she had this whole scenario that she'd say to me, why did they dress her in white? She's pregnant, or she gained a lot of weight, and we know that white makes her look heavier. <laughs> you know, Mom, you're right. The producer should have put her in black. That's a universal color to make you look thinner. <laughs> And it helped, yeah. you know. And then, so I watched. I, I I bought right into her delusion about the progressive insurance lady. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it is their reality, and you can't change that. So I know so many people. They still want to correct, um, and and make it their reality, and and yet um, a person with dementia sometimes reality is very very different from ours. And, you know, there's a saying in the industry, you know, to kind of pick your battles because you're not you're not going to win. And you walk away both being upset and probably upset in others um, as well. Um, When you talk about disagreeing with them, sometimes I I felt like I had to do that with my family, too. It's like, okay, I'm going to take their advice. I'm going to agree versus argue. They're going to walk out and not be back, um, not check in, and not follow up. Mm-hmm. So it, it mm-hmm. isn't going to make any difference mm-hmm. either. So sometimes yeah. I felt like I had to do that with family um, yeah. or friends because they just, they didn't get it. They didn't want to get it um, right. and and stuff. So it's, you know, this uh, dementia thing, It's it affects more than just the person. You know, it, it really has a large ripple effect. Um, on not so only the family, but friends, the community at large. And so we have to do mm-hmm. a lot more education on that. Let's talk a, a little bit about um, the series of head bobs and nods that you think are so important to incorporate <laughs> into your care. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. Mom had 
what's called an elephant's memory. She remembered the plots of books and memory, uh, books and movies that she'd seen 70 years ago, and she loved recounting them to me. Scene by scene, not just, you know, it was about a lady that, you know, liked a man and, and, you know, they meet up 20 years later or 70 years later. She wanted to tell me every single scene. And sometimes it was really hard to, like, totally listen. Okay, I know that sound, may sound disrespectful, but her, her recounting of these plots were really, really long. And so I just nod my head and I'd, mm-hmm, I'd go yes and oh and you know open my eyes a little wider as she told me some part of the plot that was very extreme, right? Mm-hmm. And that helped. And she felt I was listening, which I, I was the best I could. So I, I, I listened well enough. I call it so I didn't fall into the adult zombie mode. <laughs> yeah, that worked. Well, well, and I and I think that that's a, a great tool because we are busy, we are preoccupied, and as much as we talk about trying to be present, it's you're not always able to, you know, depending on your situation. I know when I was um, caring for both my parents, you know, I was married, I was working full time, I had a young daughter, I had another um, teenager living with us. I mean, the list could go on. I was still volunteering, and you've you've got a lot on your plate, and so. You want, you know, and you hate to say you want to, you want to fake it, but you want to keep them comfortable. Um, but you still have to move through your day as well. And again, it's not the yeah. ideal, but it, mm-hmm. but it works and it keeps the peace. And mm-hmm. um, I personally don't see anything wrong with that. I'm sure there might be some people that go, oh, that's really disrespectful and you're really not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And to that, I say, step into somebody's shoes. Who mm. is who is in overload, and you will you will soon appreciate the head bob and nods. <laughs> and, and, and I'm a master. I'm a master of them, right? I've yeah. got a whole assortment of them. <laughs> I mean, it's it's much better than blowing your top, you know, and, oh, and getting yes. and getting frustrated with them. Um, I know, and yeah, I did that sure. one time. I did that sure. one time with my mom. I snapped at her when she was telling me something over and over and over again, and. Oh man, yeah. I felt horrible. She felt horrible uh, for sure. a, min- a minute, but then she forgot. But I didn't. I had to live. I had to live with <laughs> that, you know. That's and, but that's a good thing that she did forget. She did forget, you know. Exactly, exactly. So again, I I think it, it you know you have to deal with everyone's own reality in terms of in terms of caring and stuff. Now. Um, you also mentioned that sometimes people with dementia can develop sticky fingers, and you might have to deal <laughs> with that. Um, was yes. that something that, yeah. that your mom um, and you yes. had to deal with? Yes. Yes. Even when mom was declining, I used to try to take her out and about on a regular basis. And one of the places I'd take her to was art galleries, small art galleries, that always had these glossy magazines just right by the front door of the art gallery. And invariably mom would just like take one. <laughs> it would say like five ninety nine, you know, and I'd say, Mom, um, it's not free and I'd gently take it out from her hands and put it back on the rack. So that was my mom's object of choice, if you will. Um, but I have another friend that says her mom went with her to the grocery store and she just would grab for grapes and stuff in the, you know, in the fruit department. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your whole view of like personal ownership really changes a lot too, you have to say. 
Yeah. Uh, when we would go out to eat, I mean, look out butter packets because you're going home with my uh, mom or or, the, or jelly or, you know, creamers or, or whatever. Um, oh, all the would, rolls. Oh, my gosh. That's why they carry big purses so they can pour all the all the dinner rolls into their bag, you know. <laughs> yeah. Before I became more involved as a as a care partner, I went out to dinner with my mom one night, and her and my dad would always go to this restaurant, and they had they had these wonderful popovers, and they had this favorite little waitress that my mom, that knew my mom had dementia, and she knew my mom loved the popovers, so she she brought over like I don't know it was three or four bags of them. I mean it was ridiculous. Oh. Popovers, popovers are, aren't really good warmed up. They're just good hot out of the oven, in, in my mm. opinion. And mm, so, my mouth is watering. <laughs> and so we we go to leave. We get out of the booth, and my mom is um, walking with these bags, and she wouldn't let anyone help her. And she drops them, and they go flying all over the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and oh I, re- I remember back then I was so embarrassed. You know, yeah. I just I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I just I just wanted to flee and run. Mm. And yeah. Um, yeah. and yet yeah. I still think of how kind that waitress was to know oh, how important God. that oh, was to my mom. Is. You Tell know, me about but, it. The kindness is you'll you won't forget. Yeah. 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 It was just a little too much kindness. You know, a bag she probably mm-hmm. could have handled, but the four the four bags got to be a, a little oh. bit much with that. So, um, yeah. or when my mom was in a, living in the community, she you know growing up, our whole family has horrible sinuses. You can hear it in my voice now. And so she was just fanatical about having Kleenex by her all the time. And so she would have sometimes, you know, a dozen Kleenex boxes in her room. And I go back oh my to, give them, to give them to the staff. And they're like, we can't take them back. <laughs> well, they're hers now once she's at them. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, that was something really important. Um, her purse um, was really important. That wasn't so much where she got sticky fingers because sometimes, she might misplace it or somebody else got sticky fingers and took her purse. But we learned over time to buy um, two or three of the same purses. So there was always a backup with it with similar items in them to keep her calm. And then the, and then the other one would always pop up someplace, you know, but it it was (laughs) that, it was like a security blanket thing. And I, and I think even like with uh, grabbing the food, you know, um, going through the depression, it, there was just a different mentality there of the importance oh, of, totally. of some of those little things. Speaking of little things, you talk in um, Chapter 9, the little things are big things. What do you mean by yes. that? Okay. Um, my mom loved blueberries. Now, you mm-hmm. might just think blueberries. You know, there were other fruits in the refrigerator. No, mom needed her daily blueberries. Mm-hmm. And for a time, I was the only caregiver, long commute, coming home. I was just too tired to stop at the supermarket, and the supermarket didn't deliver, or they didn't deliver that late, although I sure. always like to go pick out the items myself. And sure enough, I come home, and I didn't have mom's blueberries. Let me tell you, she was seriously annoyed. Uh-huh. <laughs> she needed her daily blueberries. And I mm-hmm. think that is characteristic of dementia, um, and also for people that are anxious in general, and my mom was a very anxious person, they need their routines. I know I need my routines every morning. I eat almost the same thing or, or just a very 
you know, a small deviation every morning. You don't want to have to make choices. She knew that she would get those blueberries at the end of the meal. So that's, that's a small thing to her. And I knew, actually, I felt ter- like you said, you felt terrible about, you know, what happened. You snapped at your mom. I felt terrible. I felt like I was the world's worst daughter. She's so undemanding. And, and all I had to do was pick up those blueberries and I failed, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But sometimes so we, when, we, when we come up short for them, we really feel bad, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and and we don't, uh, we're not kind to ourselves in terms of, you know, we have to kind of preserve and reserve our energy for everything else we have to do, too. And I think as care partners, we're not always realistic in terms of what we can do. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, I, I mean, I was so tired, I couldn't even sleep because oh, me too. Yes. The list of things spinning around in your head, yes. Um, yes. it just is overwhelming and everything's important and everyone's counting on you. And yes. Yeah, it's so true. It's, so true. It, and, I, and also I say, I, there was a certain point every night I just looked for the nearest horizontal surface, preferably my bed, so I could go to sleep. But once <laughs> I was in bed, I wasn't, because just what you say, I wasn't falling asleep. Sometimes I was able maybe to read. I wasn't good for anything at that point. That's mm-hmm. really what happens. You're, you're just, you just reach the end of your energy and your ability to do anything meaningful, you know? Yeah. Yeah, getting getting ourselves overtired isn't helping anybody no, at all. We're like because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and yet we won't take a nap. You know, we won't settle down. There's too much to do. You know, with kids, with kids, there's too much fun to have, and with adults, there's just too much to do on our list. And and then you know we're not we're not at our best. We're not functioning at our best. You know, when we're when we're tired and exhausted and. And now there's studies saying, hey, get your sleep, because that could um, be an issue with dementia, too, just as important as diet and exercise and social yes. engagement and, and stuff. Yes. So I think, I think taking that stuff um, to heart is, is very, very important as well. Um, you talk about um, boundaries, you know, with your aging aging parent and and coming up with those what I don't know did you go through kind of a struggle to to come to that moment yourself or did you always have boundaries well the the thing about boundaries is um, my mother my mother lost her boundaries in terms of things she would say to people and she sometimes mm-hmm. would just offer an opinion to somebody and almost a stranger and my mom was one of one of one of the most quiet and dignified people you could imagine she was very shy and she mm-hmm. would just come up with a remark on a cruise ship somebody thought that I um I I was a guest lecturer on a cruise ship and we were on one of these cruise ships with some people that are very used to having people do things for them. And this woman ordered me around. She thought I was going to carry her bags for her. And that really bothered my mom. So when we <laughs> ended up going on a bus with the lady and her husband and mom saw that they weren't sitting together, my mother just said, yelled, yelled out to the man, oh, you're not sitting next to your wife. You probably had a fight today. I was like, mom, (laughs) mom. My mother never offered opinions, even to me. I mean, she was not that person. So, you know, the boundaries go, you know, sometimes with dementia. Uh, You know, the things they do, they put their finger in their nose, they pick their nose, they... They brush their teeth. They brush their teeth with their finger right at. They haven't even finished eating, but they think their finger's a toothbrush. You know, those are boundaries. The social etiquette boundaries they fly right out the window, including 
having clothes on, you know, and the stripping, mm-hmm. taking off all your clothes, you know, yeah. they just do it. <laughs> so those are the boundaries, you know, you can't really set for them, but you have to figure out reactions and to not react when when it happens you know yeah because they don't think they're doing anything wrong yeah you're exactly. you know when i saw the title of your book why is grandma naked um we actually had that experience we had my daughter had a couple of friends over <laughs> to the house and my mom was in the bathroom and she was just you know cleaning up a little bit and the next thing we know she walked out buck naked with a you know washcloth under her armpit, talking away like nothing, nothing new. And I remember Danielle just being like, "What do I do?" And they and her and her friends handled it so well. I mean, they didn't uh, bat an eye. They were just so compassionate. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. I kind of escorted Grandma back into the bathroom, and um, you know, but we we didn't make a big a big deal of it. And That's um, great. Because you can't, because they they don't they don't understand that there's anything wrong. Yeah. I I think sometimes yeah. we, and you're all permitted to laugh though. That's a thing. You can laugh when they're mm-hmm. out of you know. It's not disrespectful because laughter sometimes you don't find it funny until after the fact. But when you think about it, it's really funny. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, and we had many of those times. Uh, we used laughter a lot, um, and I remember my husband one time getting really mad, but. Um, at my daughter and I, and we were we were going up to the lake, and we had gotten into the the cabin, and somehow my mom tripped in the foyer, and she's on the ground. And my mom was a big lady; she was like 300 pounds, and you know, not something you can just pick up lightly. And so I was trying to get her to bend her knee, and she put up her hand, and with her index finger, just started um, <laughs> bending it, like like here we go. And it was like, no, that's not your name. <laughs> you know? And so Danielle and I kind of giggled and then my mom started giggling and my husband comes in and he's like, this is unfunny. We have to get her up off the floor. How are we going to do this? And she couldn't, she couldn't follow directions. And so yeah. we all, we yeah. all, we all were laughing. My mom was probably laughing more than any of us because Oh, and again, that's wonderful. Laughter that's made wonderful. it it all feel safe and silly, yeah. and you know we'd get through yeah. it as a team. And so we ended up. My husband and I had to get her underneath her arms and lift her up, and then you know I had to get my daughter to kind of kick her feet back because she just she wouldn't she just had them straight. I'm like we need to get them we need to get them out because they were pushed up against the wall. And so when we're lifting her, her feet are still on the wall. You know, oh, and, and we no. we finally we finally got her up, and but we just we all laughed and laughed and talked about how That's silly wonderful. it was, you know, after mm-hmm. the fact, and and yet it was one of those memories I'll never forget because it was we were all together in it working together the best we could and um yeah, well that's yeah yeah that's how I got the title for the book why is grandma naked is um mom was sitting in a chair and kind of grunting. And my son was over, and he said to my mother, Grandma, are you okay? And Grandma was perfectly okay, but she was doing something she would never have done while sitting at the bridge table mm-hmm. <laughs> talking to her to her grandson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that because, you know, <laughs> they get to a point where they, they really can't control lots of parts of their body, you know. Yep, yep, yeah. And, and those those things happen. Uh, I remember my mom um, when she was living in community. Um, she would get in the earlier stages. She was really upset 
uh, at somebody eating um, with their fingers, you know, because of etiquette had gone out the window. And my mom was always so compassionate. I mean, she was right there to help everybody. But I think it was, she was kind of in that stage where she knew and yet she didn't know. But there's some things mm-hmm. that they hold on to. And, and she knew that she didn't want to do that. She didn't want that happen to her. You know, that she wanted to still know how to use her utensils. And it mm-hmm. really bothered her to see that. Um, yeah. And I, I, that's, that's how I looked at it. Um, because she she always would have been right over there to help somebody. And, and this, it was just, there there was just a fear in her eyes. Um, uh. with, you know, mm-hmm. along with her being upset as a, as a whole. Um, you also have some other interesting um, titles to some of your chapters that I wanted to, to uh, mention. You talk about uh, finding a companion and uh, oh, yeah. singing the matchmaker. Mm-hmm. Yes, you want me to address that one? <laughs> yeah, if you wouldn't. Okay, what sure. Uh, and again, the matchmaker is from Fiddler on the Roof, and they say, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Mom mm-hmm. was in rehab, and we decided to interview people. And as I said, Mom was dignified. She was quiet. And one of the people we interviewed, or I interviewed that person on the phone, had a really, really loud voice when she talked to me. And mm-hmm. Her reference was somebody who said um, his mother had died and and this lady had been the caregiver. He said, she talks really loud. I knew that wasn't going to work for mom. You know, Mm -hmm. the person was just blabbing, blah, blah, blah. That was one person. Another person came by and she looked a little bit disheveled. Her hair was uncombed. Her clothing wasn't, you know, she didn't look like she took care in her appearance. And my mother was a person that was fastidious about her appearance, um, she had lost a lot of weight in her, I guess, early 80s. So she'd wear like denim, you know, of course it had one of those stretch waists, but she was probably a size 10 or 12. And she she liked looking nice when she went out. Um, so that woman wasn't going to work for us because I, I was worried she wouldn't know how to dress mom so that mom could go out with her to a senior citizen center and look presentable. Mm-hmm. And then a woman came who just seemed such a good match for my mom, and that's the person who became her companion. And it was a person who just was respectful um, to her and not fake. And at the end of the interview, she bent down and she semi-whispered into my mom's ear, I think we're going to be really good friends, which might have been said for my benefit, but I totally mm-hmm. bought it. And, and, she, and it worked out beautifully. And she was just perfect for mom. So it's almost like you're doing a character match with your parent. What is your parent like? You know, what are your expectations? And, of course, the things about their being prompt and reliable and being totally aware of safety issues is mega important. But after that, there are other things. You want you want your mom to be happy with this person that they're spending hours and hours with. Oh, exactly. No, I think that that's brilliant that you looked at it from that angle because, uh, you know, it, it's better than having a revolving door and starting over and over and over. And by doing that, you avoided a lot of stress for all of you. Um, in yeah. that in that situation, and I think sometimes people are so, you know, hell bent on on plugging a hole, you know, getting a task completed yes. that they don't really yeah. make that match. The other thing, um, and I don't know if if this ever happened with your mom, but my mom um, fell in love with some other people um, as her dementia oh. progressed, oh, and so that oh. <laughs> and so that was interesting. You know, my mom and dad were married for 49 and a half years before my dad passed away. 
And, um, and actually, that's how she moved into the community because my dad ended up having to move there with his cancer. And one morning, she woke up just really clear and said, I'm not leaving him now. We've been together 49 Aww. and a half years. And I'm thinking, Aww. you can't pick, you know, you don't know what to pick out to wear for clothes or where you're at. But she knew in her heart what that was yes. and what that meant. And so, Mm-hmm. Um, once uh, I'll, I'll tell you two different stories that were both, I think, really powerful and interesting. Um, one, I had come to see my mom one day and she was sitting out on the swing and she was just like beaming like a teenager and she was so happy. And I'm like, what's up? And she said, oh, I met somebody. And I said, you oh, did? And I said, mm-hmm. who'd you meet? Oh, I, I don't know his name, but he's tall and handsome he's got short gray hair and you know he's just he's so kind and so nice and we go for like walks at night during the sunset and hold hands and I mean she was just thrilled so for the next two weeks I'm trying to figure out who's this guy and I'm thinking he must be on her floor and I'm like there's no man on her floor can't figure this out so I finally Go and I, because then I started worrying was because my mom had really good social skills. So she would sit by the front entrance a lot of times, and people thought that she was visiting because she appeared good, you know. Mm, and, sure. and, and so then I thought, oh my gosh, is she getting involved with someone that maybe she shouldn't be, you know, or that doesn't understand her situation? So I talked with the nurse, and the nurse said, come on into the office, Lori. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's she going to tell me? Well, Uh, here, the the man my mom fell in love with was a woman. And it was a a woman with a very masculine physique and kind of a deeper voice. Uh, And uh, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, nothing. I said, she's happy. I don't want to take that uh, away from her. I'm not going to judge her on that. And, um, And I said, and I really don't want anyone else telling her either. I said, I haven't seen her this happy in a long, long time. You know, she does, she deserves this. And Uh, and I mean, she she had a great marriage with my dad. Don't get me wrong. But with the dementia, I mean, it was just different. I I didn't see that level of, of joy, you know, to that extent where she just kind of was in the zone. She found her zone again. And, um, and then about three months later, Somebody, I, I come up and I see my mom sitting on that front swing again. And this time she's madder than a wet hen. I mean, she's beet red. She's arms across her chest folded. And I said, Mom, how are you doing? I don't want to talk about it. I said, what's going on? I don't want to talk about it. And I knew in that moment someone had told her because my mom was raised oh, Catholic. Oh, no. Oh, and, and to this, And I know, and to this day, I don't know if it was staff or if it was my brothers because I know they wouldn't have dealt with it well. Um, oh. But it's like, you know, you guys aren't around to fill mm. that void. And, I mean, it was, they were just holding hands. It was very innocent, but it was, it gave her so much joy on so many levels. And again, I know some of the listeners here might disagree with, with my decision, but, you know, I just found it was really important um, to, to evaluate what do I want for her and and what makes her Mm -hmm. happy and not take that away. Another time I happened to be speaking at the community to the caregivers. And when I got done, a woman stood up at the end, and, and she was there with her two adult children, and she says, I just have to thank you for your mother. 
And I said, really? I said, well, that's so kind of you. Can you tell me why? And she said, you know, my husband moved in here and he was having a really hard time. But he and your mom just clicked, and they are a couple now. And so we come and we oh. have dinner. We, the, her and her kids came like twice a week and had dinner with them. And um, she said, I know that he doesn't love me any less. But, he, you know, she allowed him to transition and feel comfortable there. And I thought, what a gracious, gracious family. And she talked about oh, yes. when, when there would be events and the two of them were separated, they would split up, the three of them, so that they somebody was with each of them, you know, when they couldn't get them together. And they talked about how anxious they were because they were looking for one another. And so I think we really have to get out of our own way and really look at what what brings them joy. And and Wise not, what, are, and not mm-hmm. what other people are going to think, because it's a good opportunity mm-hmm. for us to use those as as teaching lessons. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many beautiful lessons. I mean, your your book captures a lot of these kind of life lessons in terms of dealing dealing with dementia. Um, Thanks. As as far as family goes, how how did they receive things? Were they on the same page as you or, you know, family and friends, mm-hmm. or did, did they have kind of a different outlook? Well, the thing is, is I think there was one time I was resolved to, to if, if at all possible and with God's help, to have mom die at home. You know, I felt mm-hmm. she, like you said, she was a depression child. She had a very bad childhood, was either neglected or just not paid adequate attention to and she lived in her house for over 50 years mm-hmm. and I knew that if I got all the supports in place I I might be able to achieve that and mm-hmm. there was a time when one family member said to me and it was probably because I was venting about my you know with my anxiety never saying anything other than I wanted to continue doing what I was doing but I was very stressed out and that person said well maybe you should think about nursing homes and that's when I, you know, that I just let that person know, absolutely not. That's just not in the cards. And mm-hmm. it didn't have to be in the cards in her instance because she had me and the supports in place and other people. And I, she was going out to um, different social groups. There was a senior citizen program that was wonderful for frail elderly folks. And I, I really got a great sense of joy to, to know that, she was happy, and I helped provide the happiness by putting those things in place. So in answer, long-winded answer to your question, that family member wasn't on the same page, but I was in charge, so it didn't have any practical effect, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, it is one of those things where I think it's hard sometimes. I think the majority of families aren't on the same page, um, and, and the ones that are, they need to realize how lucky they are because – Oh, I've, yes. oh, I've yes. talked with people all around the world. And as I know, you've talked with many and, and in your work as an attorney working with seniors, you know, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly in terms of family structures and um, oh, yes. how, how they communicate or don't. And, you know, it's so important to, to advocate for that person and what's going to be best for them, what's going to be realistic, um, you know, as a whole. And, uh, you know, I, I always thought I would keep my mom with me until she, you know, asked to go live with dad. And, you know, at first I, I took that personally, 
like, what, aren't I good enough? You, you know, don't you like mm-hmm. it here? And then I, I kind of step back and laugh at myself, like, yeah, you're really making this about you. <laughs> you know, this is, this is about, this is about grandma now. Let's, why, why is this so important? And it's like for her to cling on to that 49 and a half years and, you know, not wanting to, to leave him, you know, when he's dying. I mean, she got that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's a pretty big picture to grab a hold yeah. of and um, yeah. need to st- step out of my own way and do what was going to um, be best for her in that. I, I think, um, I think sometimes, you know, with families there, they can be on different pages for different reasons. It can be that their relationships were different, you know, or they didn't treat me well when I was a child. So why should I care right. for them now? To, you know, let's just uh, have it all be about the money um, and the inheritance. You know, I, I hear that a lot. Um, and and then there's just, um, you know, those those members that truly just love their parents so much that would do anything, you know, knowing how much they sacrificed, you know, while, while they were growing up. And, and so there's no real right or wrong way i mean we can that's judge true. it that's all that's so oh it's so true and i'm certainly not saying that you know putting a, a parent in a nursing home is wrong what mm-hmm. i'm saying is in, in it's a very individual thing and it's and you look at these variables and the sets of choices that you have that work for you and your parent or your loved one you know if it's not yep. a parent yeah yeah exactly cuz there's uh, like with my mom i realized when she was in there and it, it was probably 3 months in um, that she was getting things I couldn't give her. She she had a peer group again. I couldn't be a peer. I was always going to be a daughter or her, okay. or her care partner. And to see her in a group laughing and exchanging comments and and um, just engaging, I mean, that just kind of melted my heart and go, now she has that again because her other friends have kind of left her and, yeah. um, or, or couldn't accept her at that level. Uh, that that she was now at, and and for some of them, it just scared them. It scared them that that could happen to them, and yeah. uh, and so you know, awareness is so important, and having having you and others share your experience um, is is just so vital. Your book, um, you know, is so easy to read, and you have, um, you know, it isn't it isn't a real long book. What is it about a hundred and 15 pages or something like that. And yeah, you, you got you it. You have mm-hmm. lots of lots of chapters in here, but you you can tell by the chapter titles kind of what you what you're going to be in for too um, with mm-hmm. this. You know, you talk about showering your naked parent. Um, you talk about mm-hmm. personality changes and and quirks can be harmless delusions or paranoia. And a lot of times, you know, people just go right to crazy or just crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, some so much of it is educating ourselves on how to how to deal with this. And then you you also talk about big important things like taking the keys away. Um, can you talk a little on that? Because that is a struggle. Oh goodness! Okay. <laughs> well, in in a way, I think I, as I say, was a little bit in denial about mom's either dementia or her changes. And also her driving abilities, because mom had a car that had a great big dent in the front on the on the hood part. And mm-hmm. as mom explained it to me, the electric eye door, because she had an electric eye door in the garage, came down on it. Or else that's how I read into it. 
Mm-hmm. And mom had gone to a doctor because she had a couple of years back had actually had a had an episode where she backed up and ended up, you know, backing up and nobody got hurt. But he said she could drive. But mom's car had dents in them, little dents, you know, and she had one that she said somebody backed up into her in the parking lot. So I believed all of them. But one morning, mom had actually become dehydrated. I didn't know it. She didn't look dehydrated. And I hear the garage door go up, and there she is in the car looking befuddled, and she didn't have a befuddled expression usually. I ran Mm -hmm. down, and I said, Mom, where where are you going? And she said she was going to the doctor, and it was 6.30 in the morning. I said, oh, what time's the appointment? What's the date of the appointment? She didn't know. So at Mm -hmm. that point, I said, Mom, let's just go to a diner and have breakfast. And I took the keys away, and she somehow knew. She was declined enough to know, but not that declined. She didn't fight me. So I was very mm-hmm. lucky, but I try to tell the reader in a humorous way, if your car, if your parents' car looks like a Picasso sculpture, maybe <laughs> it's time to discuss with them about they're not driving anymore, you know? And I, I joke, but it's not funny. You don't want to read about your parent in a crime blotter, you know, the local newspaper. Yep. You don't want them yep. to hurt somebody else, hurt themselves, or just to be on the road and not know where they're going. You know, exactly. so that that's the challenge. And and again, you know, this is a fraught area, because if you live in the suburbs or you live in a place that has poor public transportation, as my mother did, you're taking away a piece of their independence. Mm-hmm. So you have to broach it lightly and it might take you more than one conversation, you know, to, exactly. to get those keys away. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, everybody handles that differently. My mom, I think, knew that she was declining and she she kind of started pulling away socially and then she stopped kind of driving at night and then just kind of stopped driving altogether. She knew that mechanical things, I mean, even answering the phone, the dishwasher, the vacuum cleaner, right. the washer dryer, um, all of that stuff, just she didn't understand the microwave right. a- anymore. Right. And so we were we were lucky, but there are a lot of people that go through a big battle. So I know in talking with people with dementia, um, many of them say early on what they have done is they have written themselves a letter and or done a video saying, when I get to the point I am no longer safe and I can't judge that, then it's okay. I don't want my family to feel guilty and they're hoping that that will be a reminder for themselves. It may not be because, you know, of, of what their reality is at that time. Um, but mm. many of them say that they, they want to take that guilt off the family and um, at least try to remove that, even if they don't comprehend it when the time comes. Because they know mm. they they know how much, um, how difficult that, that particular um, mm. time in life is. And so sometimes I think sometimes no, too yeah. is good good if, if families can just start that transition and start picking people up so that they don't have to drive and meet or even driving their car for them so they're still in that yes. comfort zone and stuff. I mean there's different ways yes. to kind of ease them out of that. With my with my dad, he had brain cancer and you know, we, we kind of eased him out of it. I, I still gave him the key ring, but I took the keys off. But the biggest problem we had with him was 
he'd be pushing the clicker and the trunk would, you know, open up as we're driving away and I'd have to stop the car and oh, push, goodness. The, push the, tr- the trunk down. Um, but again, he still felt in control. He could still open the doors for us. And, you know, it, sometimes it's the little stuff that can make just a, yes. a huge, huge right. difference. Right. That's just what you said. Right. My ty- my One of my chapters is the, the little things can be the big things to them, you know, feeling exactly. they're in control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we all mm-hmm. want to feel in control. There, there. You know, somebody with dementia is no different than we are in wanting to feel like we belong, that we have a sense of community, that we are in charge yeah. of our lives and have a say over yeah. things. Um, inclusivity. I mean, all that's that isn't anything different from anybody else at any other age, and yet we seem to make it feel different. And I think uh, I think that's a big mistake on our part. In terms of, you know, granted, I think there has to be, there has to be boundaries with some of that stuff. But, you know, it's it's not a black and white. You're you're either involved in your life or you're not. I mean, there's many levels of involvement, and choice, and um, and us to be able to work with that and, and adapt, so that they can feel apart. Maybe they can't cook a whole meal, and that was really important. But they can do some of the process or help set the table or you know, be there guiding us as we're cooking. Um, and oh, be- that is such a great point. So they have to feel, people need to feel needed. And if there's yep. a way you can make them feel needed and useful, that's a basic mm-hmm. human need, dementia or no dementia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a and it's a great way to teach others in terms of, you know, let them be the wise one. Let them guide us. Even maybe if their guidance isn't correct, we've got the recipe in front of us, you know. Mm-hmm. But let, let them let them guide us. Um, it's yeah. not going to hurt anybody with that. So um, I've really appreciated the conversation and the time that you've taken with us today, Ellen. This has just been really informative. And I would encourage people to go to uh, Ellen's website, which is Ellen and then Rittberg, R-T-T-B-E-R-R-G. One thing, R-I-T-T-B-E-R-G. B E R G, correct? Yeah, R R is in Ralph, I T is in Thomas, T is in Thomas, B is in Boy, E is in Elephant, R is in Ralph, G is in George Ritberg. Yep. I have trouble saying it. <laughs> yep. Ellen Ritberg. And thank you great. so much for having me, Laurie. You have such great insights and and you really understand the terrain in its most subtle, you know, portions, which is so important. Giving yeah, our parents well, their due. Yeah, and you know, this is a journey of learning and lessons. Um, I don't think any of us will be true experts, um, or should see ourselves as an expert in this yes. area because yes. everybody's situation is different, and um, you know that needs to be taken into consideration. And that that means different not just with the person who's diagnosed, but the the people who are caring for them, the environment they're in. Um, their life history and story, all of those things matter, uh, you know, when you're dealing with this stuff. And then knowing, you know, are they an extrovert, an introvert, and that can change with the disease, just like from someone yeah. being happy to now being angry. Um, all of those cards are on the table. And, you know, you have to, you know, if you're playing the matching game, it's it's going to switch up on you. <laughs> you, know, what you. What you thought was a match and, would give them comfort might not anymore, or maybe it did once, but it's not working again. You know, there's not this 
you know, this uh, power pill or power tool out there that's going to make it perfect. It's, it's a fluid disease, and, um, and we are as humans, and so we have to learn to be more spontaneous and more fluid as well and not just think of things in terms of black and white. So, so, true. Um, so true. yeah. So um, on the, the radio page, um, you've got all her links to the website, to email, um, her social media handles as well. And again, I appreciate everyone's time here today. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best, Ellen. And again, I thank you so much for, for sharing your journey and a little bit about your mom with us today. Thank, thank you, and it was my pleasure. And I, and I appreciate you and your and who you are. And that's really what it is about that we we are transformed by the experience, and we relate to each other in a way that others that haven't been caregivers may not understand fully. Exactly, exactly. To our listeners, I just uh, encourage you again to get the book "Why Is Grandma Naked." Tons of great tips in here from Ellen and um and share this with others. I think uh, I think we covered a lot of ground here today and hopefully opened people's eyes a little bit and then also probably confirmed some things that you already knew, but it never hurts to kind of get that confirmation that you're on the right track as you care. So um again, thank you. We will be back again on Thursday. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.